Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Network to Code on Network Collective. Network engineering and information security can sometimes be at odds with each other. In this episode, we'll hear from a network engineer turned CISO on how network automation and security can work together. We'll jump into this right after a quick break. Hi, I'm Rick Sherman with Network to Code. Co-hosting this episode is Jordan Martin from Network Collective. And joining us today is Henry Jang, the Chief Information Security Officer at Diligent. So Henry, I understand you started off your career as a network engineer. Kind of tell me how you became a Chief Information Security Officer. Yeah, so actually I started uh, uh, as a network administrator back in the way back, even before network, uh, ad, uh, you know, manager was even a concept, right? So this is going back to uh, Novell. Uh, I don't know a lot of people knows Netware. I was started Netware. 2.1 actually was a, a non-dedicated server back in back in the actually uh, early 90s. Um, at the time, information security was not a, a dedicated discipline, as we all know. There's, I think, CISO concept was fairly fairly new uh, toward the early 2000s. So, my role has always been. Uh, building a enterprise network for trading floor. My, my first couple of jobs are in the financial service industry. Uh, but obviously with the financial industry, you're always thinking about, right, what are the security control you want to put in place? Um, so I think there's a natural sort of inherent of awareness about security when you build a net, uh, when you're building a trading floor and in financial service industry. So as I, my role involved from, um, Network, uh, network administration related tasks to network design, uh, we were looking at uh, some of the technologies, you know, in order to implement some of the controls back then was very, uh, very primitive, like ACL on, on, the, on the router, on layer three devices. Uh, I remember my first firewall actually was a, a pizza box, right, based on the Sun OS, uh, you know, running not even Solaris with a Sun OS. Uh, there's no commercial product you actually can buy. You have to build the DMZ yourself. So that's that's given me an opportunity to really think about security uh, as a part of a network design. Uh, however, a lot of those are try uh, try uh, through error. You you implement something, hopefully it will work, and uh, then you you know go back to improve the process along the way. Uh, so that's kind of in a, in a high level. That's how that's how I transition myself. From a designer of a network architect to security, you know, in the early phase of my of my career. Yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of that security at the time maybe wasn't as regulatory, right? It seemed like it was maybe best practices from the organization. But I mean, as you were transitioning through these different uh, technologies, how many different regulations and government controls started to be imposed that you had to fulfill, as opposed to just feeling like that was the right thing to do? Yeah, I think the regulation really came into financial services very strongly. I think shortly after 20, 2013, 2014 timeframe, when there was a lot of uh, very visible uh, breach. Uh, I think Target was happening around the time. And also some of the very visible vulnerability, Harpley, we all remember, happened in 2014. Uh, it's almost like overnight, right? The financial regulators, uh, especially in the United States, are SEC, Security Exchange Commission, and a FINRA, who's a self-regulated entity, starting waking up, right? So the biggest risk to them now is cyber risk. Uh, what organizations should do to protect the, you know, the shareholder and uh, customer's information. To me, it's almost like literally was a very short period of time from two to three months while working still as a head of a network 
uh, architect and the design team to transition into the security. I can vividly remember that transition literally happened in two to three months period of time. And I guess, I mean, the team was probably split at that time, right? Is that when you really started to see a dedicated information security team and a dedicated networking team? Was it, was it fractured at that point? Yeah, so what what interesting from uh, my experience was that, uh, you're right, there was no dedicated security team uh, in the bank at the time um, because the security was a part of the functionality provided by, by network design. Uh, not until with the, with the regulators started asking about security program, then you realize, right, you need to build that organization structure. Uh, the first question they're going to ask is, what is your governance in terms of security? And the governance, the very first question, related to the governance is what is your security organization looks like, right? Start with the CISO, uh, then different different roles. Uh, that's where we're starting building, uh, you know, the program and, and along with the organization structure coming with that. Um, yeah, so there was there was a kind of iterative process, right, to take the people from the network operation design to mold them to become a more of a dedicated security role over you know, to us is probably long period of time, like maybe a year and a year and a half. And then do you feel like, I guess, was that kind of the beginning of siloing those responsibilities? Did you feel like those teams started to drift or were they still really aligned, you know, at that point? So when we separated uh, the network engineers away from uh, their day-to-day network functionality, we made, it, we made a conscious decision that we still want the security analyst to be as much as involved with the design aspect of the network. Because we, we, we don't think that by siloing the security analyst who came from infrastructure experience will be beneficial to the overall program, right? So while we're building the program, defining the policy, you still need to tap into the operational aspect because that's the technical control are being implemented, right? You can't say, we have a f- policy to implement firewall, not understanding what exactly firewall is doing and what type of the uh, attack the firewall is designed to block. So to me, in the very beginning, we wanted to uh, create the awareness from the policy level, but drive that policy translate to operational aspect on under the IT side. So for us, it's always, you know, sort of together, but yet we have a very distinct role, but we are still together as one team. And I guess then, you know, in terms of, of some of your peers and things like that, uh, do you feel like that is kind of the way the industry is right now? Or do you think that there's a lot of uh, um, siloed or, or fractured organizations that may not be functioning as well? Because it sounds like you guys have uh, really built a, a good evolution towards this really cohesive kind of strategy. Yeah, so I, I think, again, it's based on the, the sector, right? For a regulate, regulated industry like financial services, this separation of a duty become a more of a requirement. Uh, you know, after I left the, my CISO job as a first line, uh, which they call CISO uh, positions, uh, or I joined a multinational, uh, multi-international um, financial service firm uh, right here in New York City. Now, that type of the bank by design would, would absolutely require the silo by design. So we have security is ran by first life defense, right? That's a CISO organization, that's IT as a system owner or custodian. Then you have the second line, uh, in this case could be, you know, the, the risk management, right? So risk management is 
removing themselves from day-to-day operation by the manager of the policy and make sure the policy are implemented correctly and validated by independent within the organization, right? Then you have a third line of defense, which is usually this internal compliance department who, uh, you know, would work with interface with the regulator, make sure first line and the second line are doing their job, right? And, and before we bring in the external entity, whether it's auditors or regulators to examine the effective program. So I guess... To answer the question, the more mature, uh, the larger the organization is, you will you will see the more distinct, more distinct responsibility divided along those you call silos. And I guess so, you know, from your experience, you know, there's obviously different sets of requirements for network operations and audit. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you see those teams communicating effectively? What what is the what's different on each side of that fence, and kind of how can they bridge that gap? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is the bridge of the gap from audit to the IT um, system custodian is that a lot of auditory audit related mandates are pretty non-prescriptive, right? They are usually abstract from a regulation. I mean, the one regulation I always use as example would be, for, for example, the uh, a federal level privacy regulation called GLBA. That regulation was written back in 1986. Right. There's no firewall, there's no VPN virtualization. So the policy stays very high level, simply stating you shall protect customers' information pertaining to privacy. So take that as, as a, a governance uh, framework, you have to translate into IT control, whether it's a DLP, firewall, right, uh, WAF, all that control you need to interpret from this very ambiguous and high level regulation into technical solution and and also on how you implement the solution to address the risk in addition that how you able to um, use the artifacts right that to back the if you know to, to demonstrate the effectiveness of this control actually in place right simple putting firewall which is a checkbox from a compliance point of view doesn't mean firewall is configured properly and the blocking the threats as a design right so that comes to the the, the translation from the policy to the to the good uh, standard technical standard and all the way carry all to the operation and, and and evidence collection yeah so it sounds like there's kind of almost two sets of requirements that everyone has to deal with now there's the the functionality of whatever service they're delivering and then the interpretation of of the rules and policies on top of it and yes trying to meld those two together does seem like a, a bit of a struggle Yes. I mean, especially when you have, right, on the one side of this equation is the risk person. Uh, usually they don't have a lot of technical background, right? They're usually from audit background um, and the business uh, background, where on the controlling side is the technical, uh, you know, engineers uh, trying to put them in, in the same room, achieve the same goal. Sometimes, you know, you need a, us like interpreter, understand the policy uh, requirements, governance, also able to quickly take those requirements into a tangible control you can visualize on the technical side. Yeah, and I guess, you know, maybe it's a bit of a leading question because we're really focused on network automation, um, but how has network automation and programmability and some of that more uh, agile approach to delivering services impacted that process? You know, now you've, you've got somebody who wants to automate something. Um, how, do, how do they bring it to you and the security team? 
I think I mean certainly you see you see a, a maturity level increases over time, especially in the past few years when the virtualization starting become the predominant right um, the, you know the deploying model for anywhere from a server all the way to the network layer right now, you know just maybe six years ago most of the load balancers right as a network engineer I can relate to are probably still this physical box you can touch. Right now, they're running inside of the, the <clears throat> running inside as a virtual machine. <clears throat> Excuse me, you can't even touch that. So, when you when you take those virtualized components, the automation become the key elements to support the workflow. Uh, which means that in order to reduce the the mistakes, right, the human errors, you have to rely on, you know, how to script that using automation tool. Uh, either you develop your, by yourself or using third-party systems out there to help you to to create a standardized, like a, almost a templarized automation process where the the same configuration can be uh, vetted in the very beginning from a policy check point of view, but also implemented you know using a predefined workflow, and with all the audit trail in the back end able to you know validate right who who did what and when and what does the policy does so we definitely see there's a needs to having automation build uh, process built into this process build process as as a applied to security as well you know, not just the programming you know writing powershell script to to configure server but also is this starting to um, touching the area that traditionally would would be would not be autom- automated like a firewall and low balancers and and virtual switches so on and so forth so i mean i you know we hear net devops and devsecops and yeah. devops you know from from your purview are you starting to see a lot of initiatives that are devsecops so to speak centric that are really focused on things that hadn't been touched it sounds like maybe they're starting to become a little bit more prevalent in your world yeah absolutely so the current company i'm working for is a SaaS company. A SaaS company by very nature needed to automate lot, lots of processes in order to create that operational efficiency. So from, from, uh, from, from application development and IT operation, we certainly have uh, evolved from early on an agile development lifecycle not to DevOps. Uh, however, having said that, I would always uh, think that the SEC is implied, right? Just because we say it's a DevOps, it, it is really, to me, is a DevSecOps, right? Uh, not necessarily in that order because Sec, you know, should be really the left side, right? Here from the very beginning. Uh, so that certainly changed the way how do we uh, operational, uh, operationalize as well as how do we perform development workflow. Uh, with, you know, with, I call this a shift, le- shift left movement a lot of people would be hearing about. I think shift left, movement conceptual is easy to understand, right? You need to move security to the far left, to the as far left side as possible. But how you tangibly take that a process into tangible tooling, people and process, that's the challenge. Right. Everyone can say we're moving we shift left. What does that mean? What the two are you enable developer due to security controls as a writing code, right? Show me the evidence. If I'm an auditor, by sitting in front of me saying, oh, you are using a DevSecOps, show me your process of tooling that able to demonstrate you effectively utilize this model, right? N- not, not just the PowerPoint saying, yeah, we're DevOps right now, right? I think that's the challenge to translate an abstract concept into tooling, into people, into culture. Uh, that's the really the challenge we're facing. And we're still, I mean, very much in the middle of that movement right now. 
Yeah, maybe it's just from the different customers I've seen in the past and and my limited purview. Yeah, it seems like some of that policy and some of that shift feels forced on on maybe a developers. It feels forced on network engineers, mm-hmm. and they seem to maybe lack the context about why they're having to do these things. You know, there's there's all these hoops that they have to jump through to achieve whatever goal. They see them as roadblocks. Um, you know, how do you as a security team articulate the business need, the value, and really kind of build an alliance with those folks as opposed to seeming like some sort of controlling uh, entity? Uh, I think, you know, I, I think that varies from company to company. Uh, with the SaaS company, with with where I'm working right now, I think the, the you know, the biggest value that we're able to get that concept into our culture is we are product company, but but in essence, we're saying we're product product company. Security is a product, right? That's our core function and knowledge of the product. We secure our products secure the most privileged privileged communication for board members, right? That's what we do, right? So so with our culture, we cannot think that security is something we're going to add on when we're done with the product de- development. So culturally, we have to benefit by thinking about, well, we are developing secure product. So inherently, there's, there's this deep understanding all the way from the left side, development side, to understand culturally, this is something we need to do. The challenge is, is how I'm going to do this, right? What tool, what process, what people, what organization we're going to build to continue to support this model where the uh, roles and responsibilities are still clearly defined, and yet we allow each of us to take this security champion role where I'm confined in, I'm only doing security operation, you're only writing the code, right? So, so I think that's going to be, the, actually that's the fun part, is to using that the notion that security champion shift left to enable each individual to be more involved with security, not just because, hey, it's not my job. You know, once I write a code, I'm going to send it to uh, AppSec, they're going to do code scan. No, I mean, right now the strategy is, as you're writing the code, right, that static scan gonna kick in in minutes. And in minutes, you will know which which line of the code is vulnerable. And it's your job, right, as a security champion to fix it, right, before even get to the security and other teams, right? So that's the kind of the, the very tangible workflow we are trying to uh, continue to introduce to our user community. I think we have a, you know, we have a pretty good early success. Uh, with the most of the people in the dev environment in understanding that approach. So you've been mentioning, and, and, and just the overall theme, right, is that we're continuing to move towards a security-first approach. Uh, when you talk about both your career trajectory and you talk about the trajectory of the way that people are approaching development and network design and all the things that are happening. Um, and that's all great. I guess my question for you is, what's the hurdle? Like, what's the thing in there that you see as the primary challenge for people who are looking at this as, as the path that they're going? Um, I don't think anyone's going to argue with the idea that this is definitely, you know, the direction we should be heading. But I don't think it's easy. Right. And so what do you see as the primary hurdles for people who are staring down this transition, um, having been maybe someone who's navigated a bit of it yourself? You know, what, what's the challenge? Because anytime you talk about a cultural change, because this is ultimately a cultural change, there's always <laughs> changes painful and difficult and tedious and slow. And it's never as simple as it sounds on the surface. So I'm just kind of curious if you have uh, any perspective on what the pain points have been generally. 
Yeah, absolutely right. So, so let's start with the uh, you know m my background as a network engineer, right? You know, I can feel the pain, even though I'm not into network operation, even design, but sitting, you know, uh, in the right middle, right, with with the de developers on one side, with the network operation on the other other side, I feel the pain in many different areas. Uh, with the networking as a skill, as as a culture change, is that the tooling, right? So with the virtualization taking place, with the containerization, you know, we're using uh, we're using Docker container, we're using Kubernetes, right, as orchestration tool. Right away, right, it created a void for traditional net network operators, right. The network operator, as we all can relay, here's a firewall, virtual, physical. Here's a console you can log in, look at the, the ACL list, right. Rule number five does this. Here's a protocol. In a containerized environment, where are you going to see that, right? It's becoming a code. I literally have a looked at a, a Kubernetes container. I'm going to say, show me the policy that blocked the web traffic from the internet, right? It's a one line of code embedded in the configurations. So the traditional network administrator who has a, you know, might be have a year's experience with a Cisco, ASA, Palo Alto, you name one, to them, that's a brand new concept, right? They no longer have a console in a logical order to list this beautiful table of rule sets. It's not that anymore. It's a translate into code, right? So now you have to decrypt that code, like you know XML format, with a certain knowledge. You have to be able to read that. Now remember, the code was written for machine, not for humans, right? So if you are a network admin to do a security audit, guess what's the challenge? I'm no longer I'm no longer able to have this beautiful output table, so I can give it to my auditor saying, "Here's entire firewall policy, and you can read them line by line," right? Now it's a code. Yeah, the message is still in there, but you need a certain, you need different skill sets in order to decrypt, in order to decode that configuration, translate to something that traditionally would tie into your understanding of the firewall. That's the biggest challenge, right? So uh, with a certain teams, you know, I think one of the issue is also visibility. With a traditional approach with a firewall and a security control, right? Something happened, there's a log, and you go to the log server, look at the logs, and you're probably going to figure out what's being blocked. With the secure as a code, it's a part of a container. With it's a part of a containerized environment. Where do you look? What kind of skill do you need to to look at these logs? Uh, that's becoming. It requires entire different skill sets, right? You need to learn coding. You need to know Kubernetes. You need to know Docker, in order to effectively understanding the controls applied at this layer. I think that's the biggest challenge I see from anyone transitioning from a traditional network, um, you know, access control uh, persona to this network as a code or everything as a code approach, right? And that sparks a different question for me. So traditionally it has been, um, even in, in highly evolved, uh, you know, organizations with a security group that is responsible for security and policy and a network group that is responsible for the implementation of that policy, right? Uh, even, even in those roles, we have put a lot of pressure on the network to deliver security where now you're talking about uh, the security is kind of baked in to the compute layer. It's baked into the application layer. Does it make sense moving forward that the network still is the place where security validation happens? Or does it make sense to transition some of those roles to our server infrastructure teams or our application developers um, to take on more responsibility as it relates to uh, validating security of the applications. And so I think this speaks also to a distributed model, the idea that there, the idea of an edge or a choke point, like we've had traditionally a network is going away. 
which is why the network was always called upon, right? It was always the network because they had the point in the network where we could see all the things and that's going away. So I'm just, I'm just kind of curious on your take, like is, does networking still play a role in the implementation of that security? Or is that something now that is at a higher level that we should start looking to someone else to be validating those security designs and network is simply about transit. And I don't, I don't have an answer on this. I'm just, I'm curious yeah. what, uh, what your yeah. take is in your position, having, having navigated this. Yeah. That, that, I mean, to me that, that's that, you know, the question you ask is, is exactly in my head. This, this is the same sort of observation we have made with our own organization, right? Is that what is the future role of the networking organization where today they are very much a, we call gate, right? They control ACL, they implement load balancer, they manage the certificate, right? They do a lot of operational, uh, they have a lot of touching point with operational. Right now, if we move to DevOps or DevSecOps, they probably gonna be bypassed in certain uh, in, in many scenarios because the DevOps design is to allow this very uh, secure but automated process where once the code is being written, validated on the left side, right, using whatever the scan vulnerability assessment, that code can be promoted into production in real time, right? So so certainly, you know, I, I think that the challenge is that I don't think the traditional network uh, control, meaning the edge firewall and, and low balancer, we're going to go away. That they're, they're still going to be performed very important function as a layer of a network function. However, I think you're probably gonna see the security control will be in two different areas, at least in my mind, right? So there's a sort of like internal security, east-west traffic control will be probably managed by uh, security as a code, is a part of application build, is a part of the server build, is a part of a container build, right? So it's in the code where you still have gonna have a edge, you have still gotta have a parameter on the network side. This is your internet facing right side of the network where your egress traffic, ingress traffic hitting that VIP, gonna hitting your firewall. That firewall is still gonna be very much a traditional firewall, whether virtual or physical, but you still have that parameter firewall performing this function in order to take the inbound traffic, inspect them, you know, make sure they are going to the right VIP then behind the VIP, that's all that code, network as code, security code starting to come to the play. So to me, it's not one replacing another, is that the purpose of security layers is gonna be kind of a separated, right? From internal security pro process, more of a code based, where the traditional layer of edge would be continue to rely on uh, the traditional firewall controls, right? In layer four, layer seven, I mean, nobody talk about layer four anymore, Let's just assume all the firewall today is layer seven. So let that layer seven inspection for client traffic come into our data centers. We're still going to be very much in my, in our mind, still rely on the traditional firewall design. Uh, but certain organizations, I can also tell you, they're probably going to skip that entirely. For small organizations, they're probably going to even question, if I can put into ACL right into the Docker image, simply says only allow HTTPS hitting my server, why I even bother needed to buy a Cisco uh, firewall to put it on an edge, right? So I, I think every organization is different. For us, we're still seeing the coexistence between traditional layer of file access control by firewall, whereas the code, the codification of the network will be done on the, the layer below. More for in, internal network, you know, east-west traffic, that's what application control, more granular. 
Right. And just to editorialize a bit on my own, right, about like how I see the network playing into this, because I, I agree with everything that you said, like we're at this weird junction point where some of those roles are transitioning. Um, there's been a lot of angst in the networking community about what does that mean for the network engineer moving forward? Are they as important as ever? The reality is, is that like the demands for connectivity have gone up dramatically. The complexity of networks has gone up dramatically. Just establishing connectivity is something that is hard to do right now. When you talk about on-prem, SaaS, cloud adjacent, cloud connectivity, how do we manage all these things and ensure that they're all the way that they need to be? Uh, how do we efficiently use the resources that are given to us? No longer active, passive links, but active, active links and mm -hmm. load balancing across them. Like there's all kinds of complexity we're driving into the network just around the just around the, the connectivity. I think there's awesome that there's a bit of reprieve, <laughs> right, <laughs> personally. Um, and I also think that it uh, network as security was only because of positioning. It wasn't because that there was a, a grand union of skill sets there. It's not like networkers were uniquely qualified to implement security policy. It just so happened that their gear sat at the place where it could be implemented. Um, and I imagine that you would agree with this, that security is everybody's responsibility. That's why we have these organizations that sit outside of the traditional silos that, that bridge across all of them, because the idea is a, a, an appropriate security policy is going to be one that includes development, server infrastructure, network, and the, the grand strategy is going to sit across all silos. So I don't think there's any, uh, I don't think there's any concern about the networker, right? You know what I'm saying? Like you say, well, what's the role? And you say that maybe you don't buy Cisco gear or you don't buy whatever. We pick on Cisco because, of course, they're the huge 80% market share. Well, of right. Yeah. Be, fill in the blank. We're not picking on Cisco specifically. Um. And we see that. We see that, you know, there are organizations that may be more nimble and moving to x86-based, you know, software-based uh, forwarding where it makes sense. Um, but it's not, it's not an all-or-nothing game, right? Like, it's just really interesting time where everything is shifting. I imagine from a security perspective, that makes it all the more difficult, right? Like, is, does everything feel like a moving target right now? <laughs> does everything feel like like I'm aiming for this 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 bullseye over here on the right, and all of a sudden the bullseye shifts to the left, uh, just because the technology seems to be shifting in what we're doing? Because Kubernetes, right, is I mean, the movement to containerization is only a few years old. I mean, from a from a broadly adopted perspective, it's not like it's it's been around forever, and we're already starting to talk about like what's next. Exactly, and, and yeah. so. Does that does that acceleration and that pace of change make the job of a CISO difficult as you're trying to establish a comprehensive security posture across all these different disciplines? I, it looks difficult from not being in that position. I'm kind of curious your take. Yeah, it, it certainly does to some degree. But also, I would say if you if you done the security management right uh, with the right mindset, is not that difficult to shifting from a very specific control, whether it's container or virtual or physical, in, into 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 what you need to do, which is protect the information, right? So it's harder because certainly you needed to educate yourself, right, to understand the environment that in front of you. For, for, for example, right, before I joined my current company, uh, I have always regarded myself as infrastructure, solid infrastructure guy, even though I'm a CISO, I can talk about layer seven, layer layer, layer four, layer seven firewalling with the, any engineer, right, to the to the nth degree, right? I can tell you how the process, how, how the ASIC chip is being designed, how the process of the rule uh, come to this mining organization where a lot of container technology is introduced is a huge learning curve. I didn't know anything about Kubernetes 
for the first three months I joined the company. In fact, I have to Google Kubernetes to find out how to spell that thing, right, from the first three months, right? Uh, and, and really trying to understand is a Kubernetes is 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 a, is a tool or it's a solution is very hard for for myself as a traditional firewall guy. I can touch something to something is is abstract, right? So that took a long time to learn for me. Right? It took me. I'm still learning, right? Uh, as we speak. Um, so so that's the harder part is that you 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 needed to translate some of the comfortable. Uh, I guess experiences, past experience you have gained, to translate to something you no longer, uh, maybe never feel comfortable. I was never a coder. I'm not a programmer, right? So for me to look at that ACL, I told you the code. To me, it's extremely difficult because I don't know what I'm looking at, right? Is is look like okay, uh, a, a PowerShell, but I, again, I have not touched the code for 25 years, and now I need to learn that, right? How to interpret that. Uh, I think that's the harder part, but the easy part, I think, you know, security control, I mean, at the end of the day, I do a lot of talks with my customers as well. At the end of the day, no matter what you're talking about security, it's come down to two things, right? It's access control and the data protection. All the security talk we talk about, East, West, container lights, physical, DLP, PKI, is about how you protect your data by limiting the access. Right. So once you have that general concept with this core fundamental ability uh, or, or property of a security, then the conversation become a lot of easier. Let's talk about container security. Let's talk about security as a code. In, but because I know in the end goal, when I'm looking at that code, which I don't understand, I know the purpose of that code. In this case, is to block a unauthorized traffic from the Internet. I know that's the goal. I just needed to figure out how do I by reading, you know, those languages to get there, as opposed to look at a Cisco firewall, okay, you know, permit any to this server on port 443. Easy to understand, right? So I think if you understand the security practice, which I really encourage my team, really is not, I don't really encourage them to be subject expert on particular technology, but they needed to have a very good understanding what a security, cybersecurity practice is about, is it confidentiality, integrity, and availability. I know it sounds like cliche, but we talk about the three things every day. Every single thing we, we look at, whether it's a coding, infrastructure, audit, we talk about the three things, right? You know, how you protect information, that's the end goal. So with with the, you know, the responsibility being distributed across many different disciplines, these silos aren't necessarily all ones that have worked well together historically. Like, and, and this is this is not just in security. We're seeing this in, in all of... Uh, technology right now, that the idea of individual silos being able to handle their little corner of the world independently and without interaction with others, it's kind of going away. And and in security, I think that's probably true as well. And so I'm just kind of curious for your take on experience. Are you seeing that organizations are making those changes smoothly? Or is, is that a, a point of contention for, for some places? Is it really based on the organization? I'm just kind of curious what your take is. Yeah, so so from from uh, uh, from industries, again, going to financial services, that change is a difficult. Uh, I, I came from that environment for 25 years, right? Being the first line CISO, also second line risk manager. I see uh, it's extremely difficult for certain you know, type of customer to make that transition just because the people or the organization design by design is performing that very specific function. You're the firewall guy, you're the firewall guy. 
Don't talk to me about in certain big banks, right? Don't even talk to me about the server side of protection. That's not my thing, right? You, you're going to do whatever you do to the server side. That's not, that's not something I care about, right? Um, in the, so transitioning from, from established a hierarchical IT organization with this DevOps model, I see the challenge are probably more difficult with a larger organization where their workflow, their, their org has not been re- remodeled to, to, towards that. For the more, for the smaller company uh, or mid-sized company where the DevOps is in their culture, like my own company, my company right now, I think that's still difficult, but culturally that's easier because there's no disagreement from a dev network security to believe security is everywhere. It's not just, we, not, we don't just say that because it sounds nice, right? When we say that, we believe that, right? So you have this innate uh, desire from different part of the organization wanted to do the right thing. For example, yesterday I was on, I was presenting to my uh, product team. Uh, we are a global company, uh, you know, across many different continents. Uh, I got an email right back from uh, developers. That was a very good presentation. I'm very, very interested in security. I want to do the right thing. You know, help me. I can help you, you know, security to do this right, right? And also this person said, I also want to be involved more security. I mean, this is from a developer, right? So, so I think it's it, the culture itself should enable a, a, an idea not to stop it. But a lot of have to go with the, um, you know, the supportive culture by the organization as well as how you going to structure the team to support that. In fact, on, on a team structure, you know, this year we are doing, you know, before this whole thing started, we were actually looking at a security champion program, right? We're, we're going to introduce a security champion to every part of the organization from dev team uh, to the uh, network operational team. Obviously, security team is a stakeholder of a security champion program, right? That's a very much a tangible uh, steps we want to take to to use a security champion program to bring other people from different part organization to be really focused on security. Yeah, and I don't want to I don't want to pick on any particular mm-hmm. vendors, but it seems like you know, we're seeing more and more like CVEs and these known threats coming out to traditional pieces of infrastructure, particularly on the network. Do you see that the network practitioners are starting to really poke their head up and go like, wow, this is, this is something that I need to concern myself with that I didn't have in the past. And, you know, will you please help me? Can I get as part of that conversation? Are they starting to feel that, that, that urgency? Well, so, so vulnerability management program, unfortunately is one of this area that, um, uh, it's a it's a boring, it's a tedious, and it's a thankless job by by far by any organizations, right? Uh, I I honestly have not observed this shift from, you know, the owner of the vulnerability or or at least the responsibility of a manager uh, vulnerabilities resides outside of security, right? Because they're just not by design. I mean, to to with all respect to their knowledge base. This is not something to really care about, right? Unless somebody says, okay, you have, you know, 50 critical vulnerability has not been mitigated within 30 days, if that's your policy, now you breach a internal SLA or, 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 or metrics, right? I think that you will still see the security will be driving that conversation as allow, uh, not picking on a network, but we are picking a network team and allow network team uh, 
to be proactive about detecting vulnerability and fixing on their own timeline. That said, on the vulnerability management, however, we see a positive trend on the development side, right? I mentioned earlier, one of the key uh, aspects about shifting left is detect application vulnerability early, quick, and then mitigate them before that become become uh, production code. We see there's a huge uh, 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 sort of a supportive uh, approach by our dev team, right? But you have to give them the right tool, right? Meaning you can't use a traditional static scan or dynamic scan, right, to scan the code, identify vulnerability, then go back saying you need to fix 25 vulnerability already packaged, compiled as a code. So what we're doing is we're using static scan tool that built into CICD pipeline. So as they're writing the code, they're coding in their environment, literally on the window, they're gonna say, okay, on the line 35, you are missing a, you need to validate, uh, uh, you know, you have a, a SQL injection vulnerability. You need to validate the input, right? You put a dates there, but you're not sanctioning the dates. You're sanctioning any value put in there. That's a SQL injection vulnerability, right? Right there, the developer gonna see that, they're gonna fix it, right? So on the development side, you see the vulnerability management seems to be, will be more uh, uh, evolved and integrated with the shift left. On the, however, on the network side, I think security team will continue to be the champion of identifying, notify, follow a follow process. You know, I, I, just, I, I really don't envision someday my magically, you know, our network admin gonna say, oh, I self-discovered 20 vulnerability in the Cisco and I need to fix it. Uh, maybe some organization have that done, but you know, I think a lot of organization, when I observe, they they are a bit of a, you know reactive to 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 those vulnerabilities on on especially on the on the network and the service side. To to be all fair, yeah, and I guess I mean having that that self reflection doesn't necessarily have a negative connotation. It's just that you know mm. if we look at the network, they're they're unique. There's different elements to them. You know we have to be a little bit more reactive than proactive based on where we're at from a technology. You know, let's just establish good policies and open communication to deal with that, and then you know maybe the technology is mature and change in the future. Well, we'll, re- re- we'll reevaluate. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. I, I think I mean it's, it's still very very much evolving, right? Security. I think the channel with the security it touches it has so many different domains, uh, and and this is one area that uh, literally touch every part of the organization. Uh, so to to different part of the uh, my own organization, we actually they see security as being this glue, which is good, right? Because very rarely you have a one functional group that in the organization that touches so many different areas: user, sales, pr- product, infrastructure accounting, finance, you, you name it, secure, HR. Every single part of uh, you know the organization security is involved, either from a people point of view or process or technology, right? That's why we're in a unique position, I think. Uh, I still think the security is, is a, a enabler uh, to glue these uh, different pieces together, make sure that we practice, you know, what, you know, fundamentally the data protection for, 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 for data. Well, I mean, I think that that's like uh, like a beautiful takeaway, right? Like that <laughs> kind of packages all this up, right? Like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a profound take on this thing, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's really about this communication and and culture change, and really about 
empathy and cross team, you know, so I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and kind of giving us the security centric approach and, and view. You know, I feel like, um, you know, there's a lot of, of, of growth that our listeners uh, need to go through in terms of, of their maturing uh, DevOps or security lifecycle. And we definitely appreciate uh, you coming on and, and sharing your perspective. Sure, I'd be. Uh, I really appreciate the op- opportunity as well. I think we can talk about security all day long. I, I, I do this probably you know quite a few times a week. You know, either in front of a customer with, with my internal audience, and I think this kind of uh, you know form is also enable us to also thinking sometimes outside the box, right? You know, what do you think? Right? I, mean, I think the automation, especially where you're coming from. Uh, it's it's will become more important, and which actually this opportunity will allow me to thinking a little maybe a little bit ahead of the game, you know, uh, as well. Yeah, so appreciate the opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, there's quite a catalog of uh, networking geeky goodness that you can find on networkcollective.com. If you'd like to subscribe and have these episodes pushed to you as soon as they're released, Network Collective can be found on all the regular podcast sites like iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and the like. We also like to engage with our audience on social media, so you can follow us at NetCollectivePC on Twitter and as Network Collective on both Facebook and LinkedIn. So uh, Network to Code is a fantastic partner in bringing lots of great automation knowledge and capability to the show. Uh, if you are interested in automation, uh, I can think of no better place to start than their free Slack. Uh, you can register for that at slack.networktocode.com. Uh, you should also take a few minutes to check out their site, networktocode.com, to see how they might be able to help you uh, in any type of uh, networking automation initiatives you might have going on. And so I think that about wraps it up. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening and we will see you next time. 